If you subscribe to a music streaming service like Tidal, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Spotify, or Pandora, you may feel a bit paralyzed by the absolute fire hose of new music that's coming at you almost every day. It's difficult to keep up or feel truly connected to artists who are trying very hard to create works that will do just that, connect you, the listener, with their art and form a lasting bond. And that's why I ask Keith Creighton to come on the pod every month to talk about new music releases with the Pop Dose New Music Report. But we'll be talking about more than just new music. As of this recording, the Grammys have come and gone, and Will Smith assaulting Chris Rock at the Oscars overtook the spectacle and overblown speeches at both events. But a slap won't stop us from doing a little recapping of the Grammys. We'll also talk a bit about the sudden death of Foo Fighters drummer Taylor Hawkins. Remember to follow and subscribe to Planet LP on all the usual social channels and listen to Planet LP on all the usual podcasting apps. Want to connect with me? You can email me at ted at planetlp.com. And now let's get going with the Pop Dose New Music Report with Keith Creighton for the month of April 2022. Keith, you're back on the planet with a briefcase full of CDs. Good to be back. Good to be back. And yeah, everything I'm talking about today, I bought with my own money on CD, the preferred format. So we're going to have finally lots of new music to talk about. Tons, tons. Our last episode didn't get to cover as much new music as we usually do because we talked about, well, do award shows really matter? You were really sharp in pointing out the marketing imperative of these shows, which is sell more records, sell more tickets to movies, sell another season of a TV show and the like. However, there were some winners who clearly deserved the win and some who (laughs) really didn't move the needle in terms of interest, at least for me. So let's recap some of the Grammy wins first and also mention a guy whose untimely passing was Kind of a gut punch for folks in our age group. So take it away, Keith. I loved the show. It was a great show because, you know, when in the last podcast we talked about, does it really need to exist? But it definitely wasn't as controversial as the Oscars. I think just having a week between the two, we were all so kind of just gut punched that, you know, it was like, okay, let's just see if they can get on without any controversy. And they did. Boom. Check mark. But You ever remember those military parades, especially in overseas, you know, where you see 10,000 troops in lockstep with their legs kicking up. The old Soviet Union. Yeah. And like North Korea, you know, like they got the missiles and the armies and all that. To me, that's what this felt like. It did not seem like a celebration of excellence. Hmm. It seemed like this is the big military parade of the Ah. big machine. Here's our most popular artists. We're going to give them billion dollar productions. Like notice everybody had at least a hundred backup dancers. And there was a big celebration of the billion streamers club. It was almost like it was like incidental that they gave away some awards because it was like, boom, 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 production, production, production. And even the fringe acts like, you know, gospel and bluegrass. Okay. We're going to put you guys on the roof. I actually like that bluegrass thing they did. I the, bought the, the, that yeah. record. It's great. <laughs> Billy strings. Yeah. I was impressed. I, my my daughter was sort of mocking it. I'm all like, hang on a second. This is pretty good. And uh, she was sort of like, bluegrass. And I said, no, 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 listen to it. But, you know, she pretty much tuned out by then. 
Yeah, he was on one of the late night shows a couple of weeks prior, and I was like, oh, my God, this is really good. He put four of his musicians out there with him, and each one played a really intricate part, and it was just so beautiful the way they kind of all melded together that I bought the CD the next day. Nice. So let's recap some of the winners. The big winner of the night was John Batiste, you know, mm-hmm. from the Stephen Colbert show. And it was really his chance to kind of step into the spotlight because he's a great sideman, you know, sit there to shoot all the grins and the musical cues to Colbert as he does the sure. monologue and all that. It just seems that the uplift of the We Are album, that one, you know, album of the year, plus a stack of other awards, it's just kind of one of those just like good for the soul comfort food CDs that we all really need right now. And especially to see his beautiful speech. And man, he really blew the roof off with that production. Go John Batista. I think it was well, well deserved. Yeah, I think so too. I really hadn't thought much about him. I mean, I've seen him on Colbert, obviously, since Colbert started. Couldn't deny that he was a talented musician, but never listened to any of his music, even though I knew he was a noted musician. But then I went back and I listened to the Grammy Award winning album, and I really liked it. I was all like, where have you been hiding, John Batiste? To which he would have said, why haven't you been listening to me, Ted Asfragadu? Exactly. Now, I do have one gripe about the CD. And, you know, because we've been talking, I think, in previous podcasts about how a lot of times CDs now are just an afterthought for the manufacturers and they're Mm -hmm. made in these really cheap eco packs. Well, this one's a design fail. So I bought the really expanded deluxe version of the CD and the interior liner notes were written by Quincy Jones. Quincy Jones did a beautiful essay kind of touting John Batiste and the album, but yet they did it in like a handwritten font, red on maroon background. I could not read this to save my life. I brought my readers, my magnifying glass, and I had to step outside into the sunshine to get enough contrast where I could basically make out what was happening. I'm like, okay, whoever designed this deluxe CD, fail, fail, fail. Absolutely. I always wondered about this. I've said this to my wife. I've said, you know, okay, we're of the age group that basically is the last, maybe the last generation that really buys CD in earnest. We're buying CDs in earnest and we're still playing them without any sort of irony or any kind of nostalgia around them. So all the bands that are in our age group, a little older, a little younger, they're all in their 40s and 50s. Yet when you get the CDs and you open up the lyric sheet, the font is so small. Don't they know half of us need our readers? And then then putting like two two readers on at the same time just to see what's being sung. I just like half the time just throw the booklet back in the thing, never to be seen again because I'm like, okay, there's no way. Like, and what were they thinking? Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. So except for one, I did receive a CD. I just bought a CD the other day. I did a pre-order on it. I'm going to talk about it later in the in the episode. But I opened up the gatefold and then there was an insert and I unfolded it and I'm like, oh my God, the font is readable. I can read the lyrics. This is great. It's a miracle. John Baptiste was to me one of the wins when he won. I was like, really? Oh, oh, okay. I guess I better pay attention to this record. How about some of the categories where you thought, eh, okay. I don't know. See, that was the thing. So I'm really glad Olivia Rodrigo won a bunch of awards across the board. I love her. She is a spectacular singer, a great songwriter. That album Sour is really edgy and fun. Mm -hmm. You know, great hooks. Got a 90s indie rock vibe to it. 
So I was really thrilled for her. I loved the Silk Sonic performance. I yeah. mean, talk about a yeah. commitment to a bit. You know, yep. that could have gone so bad. But, you know, Bruno Mars and Anderson Pack, they play characters and they really sell it. And that CD is so much fun. You put that on in close proximity to the John Batiste, and it is just a funky party in your house. It's a great one. Very good 70s throwback feel to that one. And then Foo Fighters, yeah. they got quite a bit. Which is probably a good segue for this little segment and stuff. But, you know, so they got three wins, best rock album, rock song, and rock performance. You know, I'm diehard Foo Fighters fan. I have every single single and album, multiple versions, all the way back to the beginning of their career. I was at one of the first Foo Fighters shows when they opened up for Mike Watt at Metro in Chicago in 1995. So I'm diehard. But when you consider that there's a lot of other rock and roll out there, it was a very safe, milk toast choice for the Grammys to give them the awards. But I'm glad they at least got some kind of little bit of light because what a tragedy we're in right now with the death of drummer Taylor Hawkins. Mm-hmm. You know, this one yeah. hits me with the all-time great losses. Prince, Bowie, Lennon was definitely much more tragic, of course, but Oh my God, when I just think about the loss it was so and the sudden. impact. It was so sudden. They were out and about, in a sense. I mean, they were touring. And so it just felt like, oh yeah, foods are coming around. This would be great. And then next thing you know, I'm I'm watching TV and my wife says, Taylor Hawkins yeah. just died. I said, what? The drummer from the Foo Fighters? She goes, yeah. I said, what happened? They just found him unresponsive yeah. in a hotel room. I was like, oh my just- God. Completely shocked because you figure the year they've had. So they released Medicine at Midnight a year ago, February. Soon after, they drop a second album, Hail Satin, which was yeah. the Beatles cover album. And Wasn't Taylor it? sings on that one. And yeah. so, you know, did an amazing job. Then they had the Studio 666 movie that just had come out in February of this year. They just did all the late night shows promoting the movie. Then they were in my constant feed as they're kind of touring through South America. And then all of a sudden, boom, yeah, needle blown right off the record. And I'm still reeling from it. But what I would love to be able to do just really quickly is kind of talk about some of the ways that we're going to be able to kind of keep honoring Taylor as we kind of process the loss. And the first of his posthumous releases comes out today. It's on an album called Brother Johnny. It's Edgar Winter's tribute album to his brother, Johnny Winter. Also on the album is Ringo Starr, Michael McDonald, Joe Walsh, Billy Gibbons, like an really a who's who of classic rock. Definitely, yeah. And I was reading one of the stories about it. Edgar said when Taylor came in to sing the vocals, lead vocals on a song, Edgar says, well, you know, we do got to take care of some business. Taylor told him, he goes, nope, I don't want a dime for doing this. I just want to rock. You know, wow. it just kind of shows what a, what a classy, what a class act he is and always was. You know, there is rumors that if the final album sequence makes it, he's going to play drums on the new Ozzy Osbourne record. So basically, Chad Smith from the Red Hot Chili Peppers plays drums on half of the album, and then Taylor plays drums on most of the rest. So Ozzy was even saying, it's like, how cool is it going to be to listen to Chad Smith on one side and flip it over and you got Taylor Hawkins? He's not just the drummer in the Foo Fighters. As you said, he, he sang and he had a really good singing voice too. So much so he put out two LPs and an EP under the moniker of Taylor Hawkins and the coattail writers. Yeah. So, Um, you know, so he's got three albums actually full lengths on the coattail writers. Oh, I thought it was two LPs and an EP. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. So then the EP is under Taylor Hawkins and that was called Coda. And then he also has another album, a prog rock from the birds of Satan and the birds of Satan were basically his cover band, another fourth band called Chevy metal. 
And so he basically took the lineup from Chevy Metal and did this prog rock album that's just phenomenal called Birds of Satan. I have to hear that one because I like so, prog. So yeah, so the Coattail Riders very much a straight up indie rock, big big hook kind of album. And the last Coattail Riders album had basically a who's who. I think it was either Ann or Nancy Wilson from Heart, but you know Dave Grohl was on it, mm-hmm, of and course. Perry Farrell because there's all these connections, especially with. His last, you know, in addition to these all, we think we talked about previously, he's got a new album coming out fully in the can with Dave Navarro and another member of Jane's Addiction. And so they were a threesome and they'd put out eight songs so far. And so they have a full length album that was scheduled to be released this year. So we'll see. So that's NHC is the name of that band. But yeah, Hawkins has so many connections to Jane's Addiction. Thankfully, some music to listen to him, to remember him by, but man, what a loss. Definitely. And I got to say until his death, I didn't pay attention to his side projects, you know, but after seeing him cover some Queen songs with Foo Fighters, I started listening to his solo work and I thought some of what he did was pretty good, but clearly the magic was there with the Foos, but he was a real rock fan who learned his chops from his musical heroes tubing, you know, sort of Roger Taylor, and that's mostly just playing along to Queen songs, and Stuart Copeland, who he became really good friends with. But Grohl and Taylor Hawkins, those two, for the last, I would say for the last 10 years, they seem to be the kind of Mormon missionaries of rock. They're yeah. a duo. They're a pair. They always show up as a pair, you know, knocking on the door to preach about the greatness of rock and be almost evangelical in their enthusiasm for the genre. If you if you want to see genuine enthusiasm, watch their introduction or their induction of Rush into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And when the band starts to come up on the stage, Taylor is just jumping up and down. He is so excited that they finally won. Yeah. When the Foo Fighters played live or when Taylor Hawkins played live with anybody, he, he didn't half-ass it. He oh, yeah. just, and they watched the, the last song basically that they ever did live at their last concert where Dave first introduces Taylor. And just talk so lovingly about him. Cause I think in his book, he calls him a brother from another mother. Yeah. And so he does his loving intro and then Taylor comes out and sings once again, a queen cover. And that was the first thing I bought that I realized was missing from my collection when he died. Taylor and Brian and Roger from queen got together and finished a track by Dennis Wilson of, of the, the beach, beach boys, boys fame, huh? And so that's out as a single and he, Taylor sings lead on it. And so, but there's, Dozens and dozens of these tracks that Taylor contributed to all over the internet. So if you want to kind of really kind of appreciate and celebrate who he was, there's lots and lots of Beyond Foo Fighters songs to check out. Yeah, and if you can watch the Foo Fighters documentary that's like 20 years old now, Back and Forth, they Mm -hmm. talk about his overdose in 2001 and how he basically almost died. And Dave talked about, I can't believe I'm going through this again because of Kurt Cobain. Mm Mm-hmm. And then it just looked like I thought it was all behind us. You know, I thought he had cleaned up his act and gotten on the road to health and recovery and, you know, got married and he had kids and was just in such a good place with all of his bands that it just, when it happened, just out of left field. Yeah. Yeah. It's a real tragedy. And it hit people pretty hard, I think, not only because of its suddenness, but because you could see that this was a guy who had so much talent and had brought it to so many projects, unfortunately, because of his death, that becomes magnified now. And so now you see his talent 
not only as a singer, but as a drummer, certainly somebody who's evangelical about rock music, somebody who could cross genres very easily and with a lot of enthusiasm. And But he kind of kept at it, as you said earlier, in a very humble way. He never really wanted money from the, you know, the Edgar Winter Project or... I'm sure he did a lot of this stuff for free just because he could, you know, he really respected or liked the musicians he was working with. There was another story that came out this week about he would go into Guitar Center with Grohl and, you know, they just hang out at Guitar Center and talk to fans. And so Taylor would just go back to the drum section and he'd often just like be showing kids how to play. Mm -hmm. And so then when one of the workers noticed Taylor's account had all these charges and they're like, wait a minute, Taylor never leaves with a lot of gear. Like they thought it was potential fraud. And it turns out almost every time he was in there, he would buy a drum set for a kid that he talked. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> so it's just one of those things where he was a saint. I mean, look at Billie Eilish wore a yeah. t-shirt, you know, a big oversized t-shirt with his face on it. Just kind of showing how, yeah, he transcended generations. You know, people just really connected with him because I think he's the inner fanboy that we all are. Yeah, you know, absolutely. He got to live. Yeah a really amazing run for 25 years with the Foo Fighters, so. He certainly did, he certainly did. Okay, Keith, on with the Pop Dose new music report for reals, as the kids used to say maybe 20 years ago. As I said earlier, you've got a briefcase full of CDs that you're ready to share, so let's get to them. In this first section, we're going to talk about a lot of the new arrivals. Then in the second section, we'll take a breath and talk about some of the old school artists that are coming okay. out with some great new music. And I'd love your thoughts on this. We have the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, you know, even the 60s that had definite vibes. You know, we're like, oh yeah, there's 80s music. You know, right. there's 90s right, 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 music. Right. Have we really had that the last 20 years? No. You know, and what do we even call it? Do we call it the naughties or the 20 teens? <laughs> and did it have, you know, a defining moment or even a couple of defining movements like many of the decades had? And so I've, you know, been trying to kind of figure out like, okay, well, now that we're in the 20s again, the new roaring 20s, is it going to gel? Are we going to be into some kind of collective consciousness when it comes to music? And the one thing I was looking at for these next artists is diversity. We talked on previous podcast about Duality, new album by Luna Lee, mm -hmm. and talking about how her two ethnicities kind of play into the multiple genres that go into her sound. And now I'm seeing a lot of that. Biba Doobie, we've, we've talked about a lot. She has her second album coming out in July. And so she is mixed ethnicity. And so does Olivia Rodrigo. Her father's Filipino-American and her mother's German and Irish. They're well-established. And now here comes the next generation. Did you have a chance to see the Linda Lindas perform Sexist Racist Boy at the yeah. LA Public Library? I, I did. I really like the Linda Lindas. I've been a, a bit fan of them since I actually saw that video. There's a little Disney punk vibe going on with them, but I don't care. I, I just like what they're doing. I like that they're carrying that three chords and the truth thing. Yeah. And it's just, it's amazing because the youngest one, they've been around now for a couple of years. The drummer is only 11 right now. The oldest singer is 17. And so they returned to the LA Public Library. For those that don't know, look it up. A year ago, they came and went in and then performed a couple of songs to the LA Public Library and their version of Sexist Racist Boy, this really kind of guttural punk rock song, then took off as a viral hit. So they just returned there a year later for their NPR Tiny Desk concert. 
And I've been listening to the album for a couple of weeks. It's right now on track to be my album of the year. It's oh, just like, it's this generation's go, go's beauty and the beat. Yeah. 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 And I didn't realize this. All four of the musicians take turns singing lead vocals. The title track of the new album is called growing up. Very polished, very pop. Then you got Sexist Racist Boy, very into the red punk rock. Yeah. And then you've got like Angry. some go-go style stuff, some hand claps, sing-alongs. You know, one of the songs is in Spanish. It's just this amazing hodgepodge of genres and it all clocks in. I'm pretty sure it's under 30 minutes, the full record. Which is great because it leaves you hungry for more. And the nice thing is, with you, if you go streaming, you can actually discover they have another EP that's out and they even have some contributions to a soundtrack. That's just all streaming only. And so lots and lots of Linda Lindas to discover right now. I was thinking about what you said earlier about how we can classify certain decades from the 60s, 70s, 80s, even 90s. But then when you get into the 2000s, things start to get a little unclassifiable. I think now if there's a word to be sort of applied to this type of genre or trend or whatever you want to call it, it is an expression of pluralism. It really is. I mean, we have we've have these expressions of pluralism in music often. And, and in fact, most music is pluralistic because it's a melding of styles. But yeah. now that you have people expressing themselves from a variety of perspectives, whether it's ethnic or whether it's their sexual orientation. Yeah, gender you know, identity. Yeah, gender yeah. identity that they identify with. That it's this expression of pluralism in this moment that we're in now that's almost like we have a backlash to it. Definitely a political backlash. I haven't seen a huge cultural backlash against this expression yet. So we're we're always in this, well, maybe not always, but we are often in this point, especially in, in sort of Western democracies where yeah. this kind of expression gets to bubble up and flourish, where people can really express things. And it can, can be really interesting, and it can also be a sort of a vanguard of a movement. And I look at somebody like a David Bowie as somebody who's an expression of pluralism. Yeah, he's a white British guy who adopted styles, or <laughs> some people say stole styles, adapted yeah. them to his own musical taste, and then expressed them back, which is what a lot of British artists yeah. did with the blues. And Madonna did that too with pop. You know, she would take street level things and mm-hmm. fuse it through herself. And I think when you highlight bands like the Linda Lindas and some of the other ones that you're going to talk about later on in the in the episode, what we are seeing is just a different expression of that pluralism that's always been a part of the fabric of our of our culture in a way. And that's the whole thing. So I think the political movement that's resisting it Because they're noticing, yeah, the white establishment is crumbling Mm -hmm. because soon the white population is going to be the minority. And instead of leaning into it and like all the amazing things that will come from cultural diversity, they're kind of like, no, they're retreating into their camp, trying to basically put up a wall, an emotional wall and a cultural wall and political walls around themselves. But I think what culture does so well is kind of tear down those walls and really kind of just show the fabric of what's really happening in mm-hmm. humanity. And so all of these artists are so exciting. You That's know, we're what- getting music we would have never gotten otherwise. And they're taking things that I've loved and turning it into something completely new, which is fascinating. And that's what I love about it too, is because we're in a moment 
that, and we were talking about this off mic, that things are awfully very dark out there in the world in terms of politics and we've got the war in Ukraine. But then when you hear music, it becomes this oasis and this expression that you and I are hearing and we're embracing and we're excited about and we hear it, we're like, yes, this is great. It's not really threatening. It's more like, this is what I want to live in. I want to live in a a world where people can express themselves how they want to. They got the freedom to do so, but they're coming at it from a variety of perspectives. And all I really ask as a music listener is don't make it suck. You know, do, do excellent work. Do the best you can as an artist. And I think a lot of these artists that you have spotlighted, and that's why I love having you on the on the podcast, because you open my mind to a lot of artists that I don't really pay attention to because I'm not aware of them. But once I become aware of them through talking to you, and I hope other people listening to this podcast do, I get really excited about today's music. And I don't know, not quantified, but how exactly to define it. But I'm just going to come back to that word. It's pluralism. Yeah. At the beginning of this podcast, you know, you talked about that there's so much music out there. And I don't think anybody in the media or an amateur enthusiast like I am could stay on top of everything. People will definitely ask me like, oh, what do you think of the latest Megan Thee Stallion or Doja Cat? I'm like, you know what? I don't. (laughs) You know, I'm aware of it. But, you know, it's just one of those things where you kind of open your mind to a lot of stuff. I try to stay up on what's happening, but in terms of what I'm actually going to buy. Yeah. Like, there there you go. Like, so Silk Sonic and John Batiste made sense for me to buy because I love old 60s and 70s soul records. You yeah, know? that's kind and, of a traditional structure or what is now a traditional structure of music. Yeah. yeah. And I do love how a lot of black artists are going in and shaking up country music, which is just one of the most sterile, you know, genres out there in terms of, because even to this day, there's a lot of pushback on country radio about playing even their women superstars. Wow. You know, a lot of them have formulas where they only play a certain percentage of women and they Mm -hmm. have to have mostly men because that's just the way the establishment, you know, once again, it's the establishment that's kind of fighting change. Can I, can I let you in on a little radio dirty little secret? Sure. Okay. So other formats of radio used to follow what country music does now, which is you don't play a lot of female artists and you don't play two female artists in a row. That used to be like a rule. When I first started out in radio in the eighties, program directors would be very, very upfront. They would say, okay, we're going to play these artists, but you don't play two female artists in a row and you don't play two black artists in a row. And all the programmers happen to be white males that I work yeah. for. So where these rules come from and why they get passed down and is there some sort of secret society? I don't know, but country radio or country music radio is following that old rule that used to be within, with all the genres of or all the formats on the radio, whether it was pop or hot AC, which is adult contemporary yeah. or album oriented rock, it didn't matter. You just didn't break these sort of rules. And then somewhere it started to change. And that was around the 90s, mm-hmm. where I was working at a, a group of radio stations in the Bay Area. And suddenly, yeah two females in a row. And I, I'd made a comment to the, one of the program directors at the time. I said, two women in a row. Well, we got progress now. And they said, oh yeah, everything's changing. Everything's changing. <laughs> so that's, that's the, uh, the dirty little secret. Yeah. It seems like, you know, cause the, the fact that Miranda Lambert was still bringing this up 
a couple years ago. It shows that because when you look at their the big country music awards programs, mm-hmm. kind of circling back a bit, nothing but you got your Miranda Lamberts and Carrie Underwood's mm-hmm. all over that. But yet radio programmers still had their fingers in their ears going, la, 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 we're not listening, you know, so... <laughs> So I think this kind of sets up what we're about to talk about. Almost all of my most exciting new artists this month are women-led. Another one to double back quickly to the Grammys that I discovered because when we were looking through on our previous podcast, some of the nominees we had never heard of, and one of them was Japanese Breakfast. I think we were both surprised how good it was. Oh my God, it's a beautiful (laughs) record. Yeah. Uh So, so many genres kind of colliding at once. And it's just like this beautiful kind of like tea party of just different sounds and styles. Once again, woman-led band, and it's just wonderful. So that sets up then like the big buzz band right now is called Wet Leg. They just landed at number one in the UK with their debut album. They're mm-hmm. a duo from the Isle of Wight. And Wet Leg, you know, because I was wondering, okay, like, is that a dog peeing on you or something? Like, what's the reference and it turns out wet leg is what they called anybody that was not from the Isle of Wight. You know, really? so essentially you're, you're right off the boat. So you got a wet leg bringing your boat into shore. And so it was basically for outsiders. They have just exploded. And I think because we're at the end of the pandemic in terms of COVID's always going to be here, but we're at the end of the pandemic, we're going into the endemic. So people were just ready for something. The media has jumped all over them. And thankfully the album lives up to the hype. Mm-hmm. You know, so in a way to remind me of because they basically put out their first single Chase Lounge before they had a record deal, before they'd ever performed live. And it became this huge viral hit. Kind of reminds me of Elastica and the Tigre and the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs kind of all blended together. Definitely, definitely. A, a bit softer and more melodic than I expected, though. But I hear those those references. But Shay's Lounge, or when you hear them say it, they say Shay's Long. They, it's almost like, yeah, yeah. they don't say lounge. I mean, that's an American. a lot of her vocals. Yeah, yeah. like so the I, note I will go up and it kind of, she'll flatten her knuckles and kind of bend the notes a bit. It's yeah. really interesting, her singing style. Yeah. And I think that that may be an American pronunciation when we say Shay's Lounge. I think oh, that, that's maybe, Yeah, and they say long for some reason. Mm. But it reminded me of, um, if you remember back in the, you know, I was in Chicago at the time when it happened, but Veruca Salt. Oh, yeah. The same thing. Before they were even really a band, they were given a million dollar record deal or hyped as the next big thing. And, you know, the first album was good. Second album, they went even bigger production values with Bob Rock producing. And I didn't like that one at all. But that band imploded relatively quick. Same thing with Elastica. Elastica really was a yeah, one they and were, done band. Really loved that first album, yeah. So we'll see. Like, I'm really yeah. hoping that they'll stick the landing and kind of keep going. So we'll see if they're a one and done phenomenon, a flash in the pan, or if they keep going, which well, then kind of brings us to the next one, which is the Pillow Queens. Yeah. But before you get to that, okay, go. thank you. Thank you for explaining wet leg because I was going very like, very toilet humor, like couldn't find a toilet. So I just yeah. wet the leg. So. <laughs> Well, I think there was the there was the bit the Harvey Corman bit in Mel Brooks is the history of the world part one. Oh. You know, wait for the shake, wait for the shake. <laughs> and if you don't, then you're gonna have a wet leg. You're gonna yeah. wet leg. That's what I thought too. That was yeah, what I was so, thought that was. So, okay, so we're on we're we're both going we're, we're both going for the juvenile humor. Okay, got it. <laughs> so, but you know, if we were talking about okay, are they a flash in the pan? Are they a one hit wonder? Well, we'll see. Definitely, really strong album out the door for you know wet leg, which brings up Pillow Queens now. I discovered them on James Corden. Mm -hmm. Here are four women 
dressed in kind of shabby chic. They find out they're from Ireland. I was kind of looking at their very drab wardrobe and I'm checking out the band as they're getting ready to do their song. I'm like, okay, this is not going to be for me. Boom. One note into this performance. I was hooked. Beautiful, beautiful indie rock, gorgeous vocals, just amazing arrangements. And that was just on one song. And so it turns out as, you know, so I instantly, as I do, I late night Amazon bought the record, (laughs) you know, couldn't wait for it to come. And so then I found out that there was a little bit of a deeper dive to this. This new album that just came out is their second one. And a lot of the reviews kind of were talking about the sophomore slump, you know, because the first album that they did was just so amazing as this big queer indie rock kind of tour de force that they, you know, a lot of people like, you know, especially when something is so precious, like right out the bat, it's hard to let them go. Young indie darling bands become big stadium bands. The original fans sometimes have hard time letting them go as they grow. Oh, is that all the Pitchfork writers? Exactly. <laughs> oh, and Pitchfork, yeah, was one of these. You know, yeah. beautifully yeah. well-researched review of this record, and that's what they were kind of talking about. I came into it not having the baggage of the original album, and so appreciating this new one on its own, I'm just completely enthralled. It's got so many layers It reveals more and more every time I listen to it, because sometimes if I like something too fast where I'm like, oh my God, this record is just the greatest thing on the first listen. It's like a juicy fruit experience and it loses its flavor and I kind of move on. So I'm kind of looking forward to spending a lot of time with these beautiful, sad, ambiguous, love Lauren anthems. And we'll kind of see how they hold up for the long haul. If you like Arcade Fire and the Delta Spirit, who we're going to talk about in a bit in the upcoming stuff, it's a beautiful, nuanced indie rock from Ireland. And I also found out that they are big fans of Whipping Boy, which is one of my favorite all-time bands. Have you heard of Whipping Boy? I have not, no. So Whipping Boy came out with this beautiful album in 1995. They're a Dublin, Ireland band. And then shocked everybody when the main newspaper in Ireland, and I'm forgetting which one it is, did their survey of Irish readers. What are the best Irish rock records of all time? And Whipping Boy came out number one, beating you two. Really? Okay. The power of this record all these years later, it's called Heartworm by Whipping Boy. And so it turns out the Pillow Queens are fans too. So I'm like, I love them all the more. So I highly, highly recommend Pillow Queens. So when you put this on your list and we share a Google doc and I saw that and I went and I listened to the record, I didn't really know what to expect because I looked at the title of the band. I thought Pillow Queens, I I don't know what this is going to be. And I had a very similar reaction to the album that you did. I was like, wow, I really dig this group. And then I listened to the whole thing and I said, this has all the musical elements that appeal to my musical profile. Exactly. Like right lockstep in there. And I was like, this is definitely one that's going to be played again on on streaming, but I think I'm just going to buy the CD. Yeah, It doesn't reveal itself all at once. And so the no. more you listen, no. the more you kind of capture. And so therefore, I know a lot of, you know, music journalists have to listen to something and put their story together really quick. And you exactly. have to make a snap judgment. Yeah. And we, I don't like to make snap judgment. We've both yeah. been there many times. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah. so far for those three, actually four now. So you got the Japanese breakfast, the Linda Lindas, wet leg and pillow Queens. I love where rock and roll is right now. So if you like Olivia Rodrigo, and I also really can suggest Biba Doobie and Luna Lee, 
check them out. Oh my God. It's some of the most exciting music I've heard in years. And it actually feels like there's something happening. Biba Doobie, who's, that's her stage name. Her real name is uh, Beatrice Laos. She was born in, like you said, the Philippines. She moved to the UK when she was three. And you were talking her up in a, in a previous episode. I, I hadn't really heard of her, but I went and I started listening to her music. And boy, I really like her latest single. It's called Talk. And there's a little bit of Spirit Room era Michelle Branch thing going on there. But like the Linda Lindas, that's A-OK with me. I'm just like, great. Keep the fire burning. Keep going. This is this is good stuff. So it's a I, I do like It's exciting time to be a fan of this kind of music. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Beba Doobie is spelled B-E-A-B-A-D-O-O-B-E. I don't know how she settled on that name, but you got to have something that people are going to talk about, yeah. right? Yeah. Fake It Flowers, her last album, full length, is amazing. Now, here's once again, you notice I always do these little, oh, can I take a little aside and vent about something? Absolutely. I'm really bummed that Biba Doobie's full catalog isn't available for sale. You figure people that have, like me that have money and want to buy music, mm-hmm. she has many EPs that are not available in any physical form, really? some that are on vinyl only. We figure, okay. Put some things out on CD or at least put it on Bandcamp so I could download a lossless version. Because that's what I did with the Linda Lindas. I bought their EP and, you know, I'm still trying to collect a couple of their other kind of one-off singles that are kind of floating around the internet. But since they're not available for sale, you kind of have to find other ways of getting them if you want to listen to them old school on a CD player like I do. You know, you talked about Pillow Queens and how the the album took a few listens because it it takes a while to kind of reveal its charms, as it were. And I I had that experience with the Tears for Fears album, The Tipping Point. Um, And that's one, I know we've talked about that already. And um, the more I listen to it, the more it really reveals itself. I find it to be an album that if this is the last album by this group, they are going out on a high note. And not every song is, you know, hits it out of the park, as it were. But it really reminds me of when the band was at their creative heights, which was with Seeds of Love. So yeah. I, if I could just put in another another mention or a plug for Tears for Fears, the tipping point, it's not going to disappoint you. Just try and listen to it on repeat and you're going to start to hear those, I don't know, the layers that they put in there and, and the, the craft of the songwriting is so, so strong on this one. Yeah. Speaking of, you know, Tears for Fears, a little old school. The other one, Red Hot Chili Peppers have the number one album in the US, which you got to hand it to them some 40 years into their career. They're still putting out number ones. And I saw a really good meme, had the picture of the Chili Peppers, and it says, pushing the boundaries of what you'll sit through to get to a good chorus. Because that's no, really, you know, especially even with the new single and stuff, yeah. you know, you go through this da 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 da, you know, <laughs> kind of really long verses. But then all of a sudden, kablam, when that chorus hits, it was worth it, you know. And for Shante, especially on this new record, just really shines. Guitar work is amazing. And of course, Flea and Chad are just an impeccable rhythm section, just really juicy bass lines. And so, Chili Peppers, another really good one that's just going to be a good grower. I suppose it's a band that I'm hot and cold on. And the issue I have is Anthony Kiedis. Yeah. Um, it's like he's stringing words together over the same rhyme structure on song after song after song. That kind of big bop, tick tock, flippity flop flop, never gonna see me, get that dippity doo wop, and then did the big yeah. catchy chorus thing. It's there on this album, but it's not abused. <laughs> 
like yeah. he has in the past. And it's almost like he's putting scratch vocals on and he just couldn't think of what to put on there. And they yeah. just said, you know what, man, just leave it. It's fine because the chorus is great. Okay. All right. That's cool. So yeah, it's interesting because in the artwork for the CD, he's the only one who isn't pictured. He hides his face in every mm-hmm. single photo and the same thing. I had a run in with him on the red carpet at an event years ago where I was really? the red carpet mm-hmm. manager. And so it was for a really good cause. And I'm not going to mention the cause, but anyone Googling will find out what it is. Since it was for a charity and they were the guest of honor, I was like, dude, can you walk the red carpet to promote the cause and the charity, especially since you're the featured guest, <laughs> you're the guest of honor. Yeah. And he refused. He was really? like, nope, not going to do it. Find me a back way in. And he was really a kind of a jerk about it, you know? And so I was like, oh, that was more than 10 years ago. And this is the first ever Chili Peppers record I've ever bought. Really? Okay. And so I'm like, okay. So yeah, in terms of him going back to the same mine again and again, Mm -hmm. well, I don't have any other Chili Peppers records. So I guess it's all new to me. (laughs) Maybe I don't need any more. Yeah. You really don't. And you know, I mean, just one is fine. I think you're going to, you're going to survive just fine. You don't need to be a completist with the Chili Peppers, at least from my perspective. Speaking of going back to the well, that's kind of like Sega's voices into the new Jack White record. Fear of the Dawn just came out. And it is a total trip back to the well of Icky Thump. Very weird, but fully engaging. So it's one of those things you do not put it on for a relaxing listen. No. You don't groove to it. <laughs> this is someone throwing cold water in your face when you were deep asleep. There's no such phrase as saying, and now, ladies and gentlemen, the soothing sounds of Jack White. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And so one of our mutual colleagues, Dave Steed, had told me on Facebook, he said, you got to listen to this record on headsets, man. And I haven't done that yet, but I put it on in my little Scion and I literally discovered speakers I didn't know I had in that car. He goes front channel to back channel, left to right as these kind of just like guitar shreds zing around you like fireflies. And he's got so much going on in the mix. It's terrifying and it's electrifying and it's exciting and it's weird. I don't know what the hell to make of the record, but I'm really enjoying listening to it. So we'll kind of see where it goes. While I don't personally like Jack White, I can't deny that he knows how to work his way around a studio and do things in the studio that a lot of artists don't bother to do anymore. You were talking about the kind of sounds that are coming out of your speaker. You know, that's taking full advantage of not only the stereo field left to right, but back to front as well. And I don't know many artists that do that anymore. Even at the height of the White Stripes, it was costing a million dollars to create a record. He could record a fully done White Stripes record for under 10,000, and it sounds amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, Once again, he's a, such a good ambassador, just like Dave and Taylor from the Foo Fighters about rock and roll. And I think he now wins the all-time best day ever record. Did you hear what happened to him on April 8th? Did not. So April 8th in the morning? Fear of the Dawn, his new record comes out. Mm-hmm. Midday, he sings the national anthem at a Detroit Tigers game. That evening, he opens his tour. During the set, he then proposes to his girlfriend, Olivia Jean of the Black Bells, who's also on his record label. And then they get married right on stage. <laughs> Big day. Yeah, like kaboom, kaboom, man. Yeah, Jeez. best day ever personified. Yeah, so. Apparently so. I was thinking about Jack White's uh, previous solo record, and he had that uh, single called Over and Over and Over. Do you remember that one? Um, really. I kind of, I have them all, but yeah. Yeah, I don't revisit them as much as I should. 
So what I liked about that was his background singers. He may have instructed them to do this, but there's very clever refrains where they just sing over and over. But to me, what made it really interesting and clever was the novel way that he told them to alter the delivery of that refrain almost every time. So oftentimes when they record a chorus or something, it's the exact same chorus. That's just, they do the one take and they replay it over and over. Well, this time it's almost like he said, you know what, we're going to do this. And I want you to try, you guys, I want you to try singing this, this over and over piece different every single time. And they did it. And that's what I used to like, turn it up because I wanted to hear how they were going to do it differently the next time. I'm going to have to go listen to that now. I'm yeah. going to pull it out right after we talk. That sounds okay. like my even right. listening. Well, and that might be Olivia Jean because she was in when he had his all female backup band on one mm-hmm. of those tours. She was in that. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was a group of women who who sang that. that cool. refrain. Yeah. Well, check it out. Yeah, that's good news. So what do you got next? Okay, the next one. This one surprised me this week. We had already kind of were set to do the show, and turns out Folk Implosion is back. So do you remember Folk Implosion, especially their big hit Natural One from the kids soundtrack? You know, for me, it was one of the defining moments of the 90s. Remember that? I never owned the kids soundtrack. I'm sorry to say. Neither did I. Actually, after I learned that they have new stuff coming out, that was one thing that was missing from my collection. So it's going to show up this week in the mail. But One Part Lullaby, which was their third full length, was just to me one of the most beautiful albums ever made. You know, one of the best of the decade, completely gorgeous. But this is all coming from Lou Barlow, who's also in Sebado, Dinosaur Jr., has his own solo record, probably in another 30 or 40 bands that I never I think heard the, of. The only one I recognize was Dinosaur Jr. of that. Yeah. So, so he's mainly touring Dinosaur Jr. right now. But yeah. I, oddly enough, don't like almost anything else this guy has ever done. Huh. Except you know, for this? It's like, to me, it's tuneless. It's just too indie for its own good. Uh, and then something about when he works with his partner and John Davis in Folk Implosion, the most beautiful sounds come out of this guy. He sings gorgeous, beautiful medleys or melodies. And so I'm like, oh my God. So they are back. If you can feel it is the new EP and there's a new album on the way. And oddly enough, I just found this out while researching the piece. So the folk implosion was a take, a piss take on John Spencer blues explosion, like the opposite. (laughs) That's pretty good. Folk implosion, John Spencer blues explosion. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. So the nineties are back in a big way. And then speaking of nineties this week, another super group from the nineties just dropped an album. They're called third secret. And so it's Matt Cameron and Kim Thale from Soundgarden. Oh yeah. Chris Novoselic from a little band called Nirvana. I think I might've heard of them. Yeah. And a couple of singers and other musicians from other local bands and here in Seattle, I should know who they are, but I don't. Their album, Third Secret, is out now digitally, and so we'll see if it ever gets a physical pressing. And as we were talking earlier, since they are our generation, they could put it out in real time. So we'll, we shall see. There's this band that you spotlighted last time. Just I think you mentioned them very briefly. They're yeah. a Sacramento groove band, and you called them Chick, 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 but then they it's just exclamation points, like three in a row, but they call yeah. it Chick, Chick, Chick. I'm the band that has no name. Oh, okay. And so- what, <laughs> But they have are punctuation. You with them? Yeah, are you familiar yeah. with them? I've listened to the song that uh, that's that's currently out. I know they they have a new album coming out, so they they had two songs that were released, as, I guess, as singles. That's my first introduction to them. So 
I don't know if there's other records I should be listening to or things yeah. that you could recommend, but I only heard the two and I was like, eh, it's, it's, it's okay. Yeah. So, so um, oddly enough, one of their first singles was called me and Giuliani down by the schoolyard. And <laughs> I, li- I like them already. And so funny. yeah, go back to the <laughs> early, early stuff. They've been around since 2000. And here's what I love about this band. Kind of reminding me of the early factory records with Joy Division and New Order, mm-hmm. where they would sometimes just put out a record and not even have a title on it or a band and would just be like FAC and then a number. And so without the internet, you didn't know what you were getting. And so the same thing with Chick, 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 they would just put out these records and you really can't even tell from the outside if it's a single or a full length, just has the three exclamation points on it. They didn't really have a visible front man. And so when you go and see him in concert, you got a singer, especially in the early stuff that was singing like random thoughts coming out of his head. It seems while there's probably like four or five percussionists on stage and four or five guitarists that are playing percussion on their guitars, you know? know. So like just these just amazing grooves and you just dance to it and it's just electrifying if you like lcd sound system Mm -hmm. that's a similar thing you know where you're gonna get these big funky groovy workouts that kind of have their fingers in indie rock but also dance floor very underground edgy but yet then melodic as hell you're like how come this isn't the biggest band in the world right and i remember seeing them in in la we're at the theater you know they're about to come on i just got in a beer so we're standing there in the still crowd as the band comes on and hits the first couple of notes. You can just see an electric charge go through the audience and I'll never forget it. The audience moved so fast that my beer literally left the cup <laughs> in the shape of the cup and just flew off into the night. And I never got a sip of my beer. Dang it. And it was just like, then the whole audience moved. And by the time that show was over, I was soaking wet to my toes from sweat don't know if I would even known when one song started, the next song ended, but the groove was just amazing. And so it's just been fun to see like, holy crap, for 22 years now, these guys have been around putting out consistently good records. And so their new one, it's called Let It Be Blue, out May 6th. Somebody who's having a big moment is Harry Styles. He has a new one coming out too. He has kind of been tagged as our generation's or this generation's David Bowie. And I think yeah. he's kind of holding up to that on a lot in terms of his style and his ability to kind of merge a lot of different kind of sounds through his style. And I love the fact that he's just completely plugged in like this Harry's house. The name of the record is a nod to Joni Mitchell, one of her classic songs. And that he's also Harry and Stevie Nicks are almost like a couple, definitely in terms of being culturally connected, you know, in terms of like the live to participate with each other. So I just love how my generation really loves Harry all the way down to tweens and teens love Harry. And he's just one of those few artists that could kind of pull together the hipsters and the pop crowd, young and old, every race, everywhere in the world seems to love this guy. And so it's just amazing what he's been able to do with the momentum from one direction and where he's gone with it. The new album, as you said, it it comes out in May, Harry's house. And they, they do have a single that's out that you can listen to it. And, and I did listen to it the other night. My thoughts were, um, Someone's been listening to The Weeknd because it's very much in that style of yeah. what The Weeknd's doing, channeling that kind of 80s synth. It'll be interesting to see where the rest of the record goes. But the thing is, his other albums age so well. It's hard to imagine that it was his first solo record is already five years old. 
and that his last one's three years old now because watermelon sugar still sounds fresh today. Yeah. And I think because of TikTok, you know, just that's a song that's just never going to die now. So there's a guy that you and I, I don't know, you may know him. I, I kind of know him. Prince. He had a band called Prince. the Revolution. So, well, here's the interesting thing, you know, so of course it's been, a, it's a tragedy. The Prince is gone. Mm-hmm. But since then, it's been a bonanza for Prince collectors because they have released so much music from the vault. But now everyone's waiting because all these gorgeous box sets that have come out since Prince's untimely passing in 2016 were on Warner Brothers. Because even though he had his beef with Warner Brothers for years, they reunited at the end to put out his last couple of albums. And that was all under the guise if they, if we did this and we kind of bury the hatchet, then Prince was going to shepherd the Purple Rain anniversary edition, mm-hmm. edition, which he did. And it was good. You know, it was a three-disc set. But then the subsequent ones for 1999 and Sign of the Times are just treasure troves of just the most Sign of the Times is monstrous how much music you get with that. Oh, it I is just genius. It. But <laughs> now Warner Brothers has passed the torch due to contractual obligations to Sony Legacy and Sony Legacy has not yet released anything new from the vault. But what they have done, and it's coming out in June, is they've finally taken the VHS, the Syracuse 1985 tour stop from the Purple Rain tour. Mm-hmm. They've remixed it from the source files all the way up in terms of a Blu-ray HD bump on the video. Oh, yeah. Because it was yeah. always grainy. I have the VHS and it's okay. not, it's like watching a bootleg. Right. And so then they've supposedly remastered the sound. And so they've now got, of course, the big, huge, super deluxe box that's coming out. You could buy the two CD and Blu-ray edition. You could buy multiple vinyl formats. And it's just going to be really nice to have this element of the uh, Purple Rain Tour, which includes the new song Possessed, which finally got the studio version on the Purple Rain Deluxe Edition. The Purple Rain Tour was really weird. He was kind of dipping his toe into Around the World in a Day. And so it's going to be really kind of fun to see a cleaned up version of this. So the whole box set lands on June 3rd. Delta Spirit is another band that you have put on your list. So that one's coming up in May also. And so Delta Spirit was a band that are out of San Diego. They were kind of Americana, their first few records. Mm -hmm. But then, oh my God, when they released their self-titled record, I think it was in 2011, I had this high fidelity moment where the moment in the movie high fidelity where John Cusack says, look, we're going to turn these people on to the beta band. And that's what happened was what was coming out of the speakers at easy street records here in West Seattle was just something I had never heard before. They basically just decided to throw the walls down on genres. And it's just one of the most exciting creative records I've ever heard in my life. Really? The self-titled you know, Delta spirit record. There's just so much going on and the enthusiasm, the exuberance for just music just explodes out of the speakers. You get these really beautiful emotional songs. Then he has some vocal pyrotechnics that I can't even describe. Then the rhythms kind of go all over the place. And it's just like they put every creative juice in their system into this record. And the follow-up into the wide also was equally good. You know, I think not not quite as good, but I would say a 9.9 to a 10. They then disappeared for a while. They finally came back during the pandemic with one record that was definitely much more lo-fi because their major label days are over. And so now they have a new record coming out, but I'm really excited to see where they go with this. 
If you really like just beautiful indie rock, you know, kind of like band of horses kind of stuff, but kind oh, okay. of okay. turned up to 11, that's kind of what the Delta spirit's all about. And that comes out. What's done is done May 20th alongside the Harry Styles record. And the last one you wanted to spotlight was X propaganda. I know nothing about them. We're getting all these like albums, you know, from the dead. We never thought we were going to get again. Like the uh, first ABBA record in 40 years came out. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Altered Images has a new album coming out later this year. They haven't been around since 1983. What? What's her name? Claire, Claire Krogan? Um, Grogan. 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 Yeah. Grogan. Yeah. And she doesn't look like she's aged a day. I saw wow. the press photo for the new record. I'm like, wow, she looks fabulous. So hopefully her pipes are still there because I don't yeah. think she's done a lot of music since then. But so my all time number one favorite studio record of all time is A Secret Wish by Propaganda. Came out in 1985. Under the Trevor Horn umbrella. Okay. So Trevor Horn, very famous producer. He was in the Buggles, Video Killed the Radio Star. And so back in the day, he was starting this record label called Zang Tum Tum, ZTT Records. And so Seal was on that. Dollar. Frankie Goes to Hollywood became this big international hit, as did The Art of Noise. If you Mm -hmm. like The Art of Noise, that kind of sets up what propaganda was all about. Very German, goth, industrial, pop, all at once. They were very style forward. Claudia Brocken, the singer, who was just like a college kid when they recruited her for the band, she kind of did something that sounded like the propaganda record with Thomas Lear, who was another legend in his own right, and they were called ACT. But now Claudia, her co-singer from Propaganda and the original producer that was handpicked by Trevor Horn to produce this record have formed X Propaganda. And so The Heart is Strange comes out in May. And it's the first thing that they've ever ch- attempted that's going to try to sound like the original Propaganda. So we'll see how it goes. We've got the new Propaganda, the new Tears for Fears held up, the Altered Images is coming. If the Duran Durans and the OMDs and the New Orders of the Day can keep putting out great new records, why can't they? Exactly. So again, talking about that pluralism, that's just part of the whole wonderful bowl of salad. I don't know. Something like that. Everything old is new again. And the thing is, I love the fact that all these legacy acts have fans all the way down to teens and tweens. Yeah. Yeah. Because when everything's available on Spotify, kids are going to expose to a lot of stuff. And then look what TikTok has done for the likes of Fleetwood Mac in terms of making them relevant again. Absolutely. I mean, just some guy drinking uh, ocean spray, <laughs> cranberry exactly. juice, riding a longboard to work because his truck broke down and he worked in a potato factory. Man, how's that mm-hmm. for America right there, right? Yeah. I, there's one I wanted to spotlight and okay, because go. I'm such yeah. a big Rush fan. Do it. Um, Ooh, Rush. And unfortunately, Rush is no longer together, but they have released the 40th anniversary of Moving Pictures. That's not the album I want to talk about. It's called The Envy of None. It is a project that guitarist Alex Lifeson has headed up, or at least he's part of. He doesn't want to be sort of the star of the show. He's just a player. He's the guitar player in there. So he's part of this group, and it's not really a group. He keeps calling it a project that's uh, centered on a Portland, Oregon area-based vocalist songwriter named Maya Wynn, who was born the same year my daughter was born. Her name is Maya, and that's 1996. So Maya is 25 years old. And to me, this is a real throwback album that channels like Nine Inch Nails, Garbage, and other industrial flavors. For most of the record, it's very dark in tone at times, 
but it ends on a cinematic and even a sentimental note with the song oh. called Western Sunset. Alex wrote that when visiting Neil Peart in Santa Monica, California, when Neil was suffering from brain cancer and uh, he was looking over the Santa Monica Hills. They were sitting out on Neil's balcony and, and he started kind of roughing out the, this, this song. So it, it ends on a very nice sort of acoustic, not electronic note, oh, which, wow. which is, which is very welcoming at the end. Well, so the check real, that out. Yeah. you should, you should. The real foundation behind the band on this project, I should say is Andy Curran, who was in an eighties Canadian rock band named Coney Hatch and a uh, guy, another guy named Alf Annabellini. There's a kind of a dark and cold nature to the album that might be a turnoff to those who really love Rush. But I really like that Alex Lifeson is doing some very un-Rush things now, though, that the band is is over. It's it's yeah. a nostalgia act now, and the, 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 the record label will still churn out 40th anniversary editions of, of records and repackage them and find live recordings from somewhere to, to tack on as that third disc or whatever. And completists like me will always buy them <laughs> until, yeah. until I'm no longer part of this veil of tears. What I like mm-hmm. about what Alex has done is that he's kind of continued what he did back in 1996, interestingly enough, the, the year my daughter was born and the year his vocalist for this project was born, which was an album called Victor. It has some rush moments, does some lead breaks, but it's also very electronic and very forward thinking for him and very unrush. So I really find what Alex Lifeson is doing in his post rush career or when rush was taking a hiatus really fascinating because I'm thinking this guy has got a lot in the tank that he never really explored with that band. Yeah. I mean, they were kind of tied into the sound, so he really couldn't do it. But freed from that, he was really able to stretch out and do some pretty fascinating things. Now, Getty Lee released a solo album in 2000 that sounded very Rush. Nice, pleasant, good good melodies and, and solid songwriting. And you mentioned Matt Cameron earlier. He drummed on a lot of the tracks oh, as well. Oh, cool. So, but this one is uh, doing pretty well, actually. Envy of None. Okay, is, I'm going to check that out. Yeah. Apparently, it got to number one in the either the rock or electronica on Spotify, which I don't know what that really means in terms of their charts, but it certainly looks good on paper. Alex Lifeson's uh, project, if you will, with wow. Maya Wynn and Andy Curran and Alf Annabellini. And speaking of sentimental cinematic endings, I highly recommend that people check out if you're on Paramount Plus, they have the Cradle to the Stage Dave Grohl TV series. Mm -hmm. And one of those episodes is on Getty Lee. And still to this day, if she's still with us, he basically just goes over and visits his mom, sits with her, and then takes her on a walk around the neighborhood. Yeah, unfortunately, Getty's mom passed oh, away. Oh, did she pass? Yeah, she oh, did. Okay. Yeah. But it was such a beautiful story. Like just <laughs> watching them wander the neighborhood and realizing, okay, here's Getty Lee, filled stadiums with the most thundering rock in the world in the world. <laughs> Until her last days, he was there yeah. for her. And I think that's beautiful. Even though she's passed, what a beautiful last chapter in her life. Very much so. Very much so. And the way he got his name getty his real name is gary gary lee Weinrib, and uh, because his grandmother had such a thick accent she used to say getty getty no like way. that and so oh, his friends awesome. were all like hey man how come your grandma's always calling you getty she's like she's not she's calling me gary 
So they're like, no, she's all like Getty, Getty. That (laughs) is awesome. So then he started being called Getty Lee. So it all stuck. So there you are. So see on this episode, we've learned all kinds of like between wet leg and some (laughs) other, like the origin of band names is pretty cool. Yeah. Maybe that's our next episode. Who knows the origin of band names, but as we conclude this episode, mm-hmm. I want to say thank you, Keith, for coming on the program. It's always enlightening to have you on. Well, I hope people discover something in there. Lots of gold to be listening to. Absolutely. And thank you, uh, my dear listeners, for listening to the Planet LP podcast. I'm Ted Asforgadu. Until next time, so long. So long.